0: Thanks, Jaden. If you got your Bibles open, leave them there. Philippians 2 is where we're going to be today. I'd like to wish you all a Merry Christmas. I apologize in advance. I've been fighting some sort of respiratory virus all week, and so far it's not close. The virus is winning. Um, it's winning easily so far, uh, but we're going to try to get through this together. And i um, just going to ask you to join me in a word of prayer, so let's pray. Father, we, we love you. We thank you for the idea um, that we get to celebrate this morning. We thank you that it's more than an idea, that's in a reality. Lord, that you came and you took on flesh. Father, you became one of us to, to walk the path that you call us down to, to be sinless when we couldn't, to die in our place, to rise again. God, we, we celebrate all that this morning. And so, Lord, we just pray that... Um, that when the word became flesh and now we have this, this word in front of us, God, that, that would be the power that is proclaimed this morning. And God, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope you all had a good Christmas morning. Uh, for those of you who still have young children in the house, I, I trust that you, uh, that you did. Um, our house, I was awoke by two young carolers, carolers singing me a Christmas song. Um, Which was adorable and it's also preferred over the way Jimmy used to wake me up when she was younger Which is to come in my room and start poking me in the face and saying daddy, daddy, daddy Um, That's not a good way to wake up, right Um, But, so I I was glad even though it was early that they were singing this time But there's just something about uh, seeing your children get excited and opening gifts that's just good for your soul There's something about passing on traditions that you picked up in your household to your children that makes you sentimental But let's be honest, right it's not all smiling faces and Instagram photos, is it? In fact, I'm guessing that in a room this size, someone's child opened up a gift this morning and then complained about that gift. I remember once when I was younger, I, I got a gift from a relative and it was not what I wanted that year. Well, let's just be honest. It was never what I would have ever wanted, okay? And I remember I made the remark. I actually said out loud, I don't like this. Now, for those of you who don't know, Mike Parks is my dad. And one thing about Mike Parks is he doesn't tolerate fools, okay? And I was acting a fool in that moment. And so he physically pulled me aside, gave me a very clear and stern lesson about gratitude, made me apologize to this relative in front of everyone. It was embarrassing enough that I haven't ever made that mistake again. And to give me a little credit, I was only 29 years old, okay? But listen, I'm not... The only one who's ever pulled that move, right? I, I won't make you raise your hands, but again, I'm betting it happened in someone's house this morning. That you gave a gift out of love. It was a gift that cost you something. And, and then once your ange- once angelic child opened it, they decided it wasn't the right brand. It wasn't what they asked for. It wasn't what they wanted. It wasn't the right size, the right color, whatever. And so they voiced their displeasure. And when this happens, you've got, you got a variety of ways to respond. Maybe you uh, could choose to just ignore the little rebellion and just keep peace on Christmas, right? You could, you could go the Mike Parks route, pull them aside and clearly teach them a lesson of gratitude. Or you could have your kids sit down and in front of them take out a knife and chop up all the rest of their Christmas gifts into little pieces. Right. That's what I did. I mean, would have done had that happened at our house, right? So why do kids do this, Right? Why do they sometimes respond so poorly to gifts given to them out of love? Gifts that they didn't earn, gifts they didn't pay for, gifts that were simply given to them. Well, it's simple. Kids are sinners. They're childish. They're selfish. And you can't blame them. They've learned this from you, their parents. Merry Christmas, by the way. It's going to get better, I promise. You see, left to ourselves, we constantly try to look out for us first. Just this past Friday, okay, I had to go to the bank, and I pulled up, and I noticed that the, the drive through lane was just jammed, right? So I didn't want to wait too long, so I decided, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to, like, 1985 and actually go into the lobby, okay? And so as I was pulling around the front, I noticed that there was a man by the front door start to open the door, and then he stopped to turn around like he'd forgotten something. And this thought actually came to my mind, okay, here's your window. Park the car, get out, walk fast, you can slide in in front of him. I was like a running back waiting for a hole to develop, and when I saw it, you know, you plant that foot and you go. But the situation intensified because whatever he needed from the car didn't take him long. And so now it's me and him coming across the parking lot, right? And now I'm trying to walk fast enough where I'm going to beat him to the door, but not so fast that he knows I'm racing him. Okay, this is a, this is a delicate balance. And so I beat him to the door, but there was, there was one more puzzle left for me. This, my bank lobby has this weird diamond-shaped layout where two hallways split, and then you go to where the teller's area is. And so I decided, split second decision, I'm going left, okay? This sly cat went right. And when I get up to the teller's area, I notice that the line goes from the teller's desk through the lobby and then down the right hallway, not the left. And so then I'm standing there waiting in the line behind this man that I was trying to beat, and the Lord humbled me. And I thought to myself, why didn't you go right, you loser? <laughs> now, that's actually not what I thought, okay? I actually thought this. What's wrong with me? What makes me think that I'm so important that I always have to look to find the shortest line? What, what makes me think and believe that the world should cater to me, that my schedule's most important? And you know the answer to that. I'm a sinner. I'm childish. I'm selfish. There's a reason that the first sin was a sin of pride. It's the root of all sin. You cut humans to the cord and and we bleed pride. We don't have to work at putting ourselves first. We just do it. We don't have to put any effort into knowing what our opinion is on a matter. We just know it. So, from not sharing our toys and complaining about our gifts as children to to complaining about our bosses and demanding people to see the world the way we see it as adults, we have this plague of selfishness throughout our lives, which leads us to today. Because what we celebrate today is miraculous beyond description. What we celebrate today isn't even natural, it's not even close. And I'm not talking about the virgin birth, so that's a miracle. It's just not the biggest miracle of Christmas, it's not even close. The greatest miracle of Christmas is this that the holy, awesome, divine, all powerful God did something for us that we would have never done for him. Ever. And in Philippians chapter 2, we, we get one of the clearest pictures of that miracle. See, Luke 2 is that famous Christmas passage, right? It's, it's Luke's a historian. Luke tells us when and where. There's a decree, and Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem on a golf cart. Why where, where there, they, the time came for Mary to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and, and gave him the name Jesus, and wrapped him in clothes, and pay, placed him in a manger. And then we hear about the shepherds keeping their flock at night. It's the story that you, you love. It's the story you've probably heard a hundred times, if not more. But Philippians 2 pulls back, right, and examines the story from the eyes of the cosmos more than when and where. Philippians 2 looks at who was this child, what were his origins, why did he come? These are all very important questions for us to ask because it would be a great shame for us to leave this story as a mere holiday tale. Make no mistake about it, Philippians 2 is the story of Jesus and his coming to earth. So let's look again at verse 6. That Jaden read for you, Philippians 2 verse 6 says, Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. <laughs> the first thing that Paul tells us about Jesus in this verse is that he is in very nature God. Okay, so Paul immediately dispels this notion of Jesus being a prophet or a teacher or a nice guy or role model or anything else that falls woefully short of his true identity. Jesus was not created. He is the creator. Jesus is not a teacher. He is truth itself. Jesus is not a representative of God. He is God. We've been studying the book of John as a church, and John opens his book with this truth. He calls Jesus the word, and in the first verse of his book, he writes, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Colossians 1 expands on this. We're going to throw this on the screens for you. You can follow along. Colossians 1 starts talking about Jesus in verse 15, when it says this. The Son is the, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, or the thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. <coughs> Excuse me. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. We need to be clear on this. Jesus Christ is the supreme ruler of all creation. All things have been made by him, all things have been made through him, and all things have even been made for him. He's the Alpha and the Omega, he's the beginning and the end, Jesus Christ is God, and being God, he has all the immeasurable powers of that identity. Being God, he has all the endless resources of heaven at his fingertips. Being God, he has endless glory, endless possibilities, and limitless capabilities. He's the God that we read of in Genesis, who not only made this world, but in doing so, he didn't toil or labor or sweat. He was the word who spoke creation into existence. He's the God we read of in Acts 17. They picks the exact times and places that every man should live and exist. The God who spoke through a burning bush. The God who sent plagues on Egypt. The God who was so holy that just touching the ark of his presence was deadly. The God who was and is and is to come. The God who is the great power of the entire existence. That is who Jesus is. And yet the next sentence is so crazy. That it almost would, without, it's almost without comprehension, and it would be had he actually not done it. Jesus, in being very nature God, Paul says, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. This is the amazing humility of Jesus. That he took all the privileges, and all the powers, and all the advantages of being God, and he used them all to benefit us and not himself. He said this himself he said he told his disciples late in his earthly life the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many i want you to think this morning of how different christmas would have looked had he come to be served luke 2 would have been a much different read i'll tell you that bethlehem would be out definitely wouldn't be a manger forget the baby stuff The clouds would have broken open. He would have ridden down on a chariot and demanded that every person on the face of the earth bow down before him and serve him the rest of their days. And here's the craziest thing of it all. That's what he deserves. That's well within his rights. But it's not what happened. Look again at verse 7. It says, rather he made himself nothing By taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, instead of coming and demanding tribute and service, he became nothing. The Greek phrase there is that Jesus literally emptied himself. He emptied himself of using the rights and privileges of being God for his own gain. And then Paul uses some wordplay that we need to catch here. Notice he says in verse 6 that Jesus is in very nature God. The word word there means to have the inner essence and reality of, and in verse 7, Jesus took on the very nature of a servant becoming human. So here's how we need to read those verses. Jesus Christ, who was perfectly and completely God, became perfectly human. The God, we are told... In Psalm 139, who knits us together in our mother's room by his power and might and creativity, that God subjected himself to the womb of a woman. And a sinful woman at that. The God whose power is endless and can command a legion of angels at any moment to wipe humanity off the face of the earth had to be whisked off to Egypt in the middle of the night because as a baby he couldn't protect himself. The God who merely spoke the entire universe into existence came to feel tired from a journey. The God who was worshipped for all eternity around his throne nonstop came here to have his own creation question him, reject him, deny his authority, and position themselves as if they were somehow smarter than him. This is the mind of Jesus. Jesus. Jesus took all of his privileges and he cashed them all in for our sake, not his. The mind of Christ is the mind that says everything that I am and everything that I have I cash in and I use for the sake and benefit of others. What Jesus emptied himself of was not his deity, but the pursuit of any kind of self-interest. He emptied ever looking out for himself. He just laid that aside. and He came as a human to do the will of the Father and serve others no matter what it cost him. See, one of the many lessons that Jesus teaches us is that to make a difference in someone's life, it takes more than positive thoughts. We think about it, in our day and age, we seem to be more connected than ever before, yet more disconnected than we've ever been. Right in the age of the internet and social media, we can trade real relationships for online ones. We can trade real activism for internet activism. I see this constantly. Whenever someone's facing a trial or tragedy, it's a common thing to send your thoughts to that person. I don't even know what that means, right? This internet generation now thinks that if they retweet or repost something or somehow change their profile picture, they're actually standing for a change in the world. But at some point, thinking of others and pushing a button isn't enough. You actually have to do something. Jesus Christ, in his service to us, literally put flesh... To his activism. He literally became a person and suffered and he faced hunger and thirst and he endured rejection and pain and gave his life to us. He didn't send his thoughts to us, he bled out for us. It wasn't hollow noise meant to make him feel better. Right? That's not that it was love. It was activism, it was justice, it was grace. He emptied himself, laying aside the rights and privileges as God, and he became a human and taking on a sinless but entirely physical body. And he served others with that body, meeting their physical and spiritual needs in endless acts of love. And then lastly, he just gave up that body. Look at verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Colossians 1, which we had up there for you earlier, touches on this as well. It continued in verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That's Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Don't you see the birth was just the beginning? As unthinkable of an act as it is. That God would become a man, as much as it cost him to just empty himself. He was just getting started. His move of grace towards us was just beginning. God became small, and then somehow he went even lower. In verse 8, it says he humbled himself as if it wasn't humility already for him to take on our flesh. He went beyond that. He took on the full nature of a slave, obedient to the will of the Father and to the need of humanity, and he gave up his life and his body on a cross. And Colossians 1 tells us they did this to reconcile us to God, that it is by the blood of Jesus Christ that we can be brought back to God. That only by believing in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection can we experience eternal life in heaven. And instead of being offended at the exclusivity of that truth, we need to be grateful that somebody at least made a way. That while there was no way, while we were dead in our sins, he made a way. Colossians continued, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. You see the birth that Jesus experienced was not his to endure as an eternal being but he took it anyway. The pain, the loss, the hunger and thirst and grief that he felt was not his to endure but he took it anyway. The rebellion and rejection were so beneath what he deserved, but he took it anyway. And the death that he died was not his death to endure. It was ours. And he took it anyway. It was the most brutal, most cruel, most shame-filled way to die, and he took it anyway. This has endless implications for our lives. There are two that I really want to focus in on today. You see, most holidays, but especially Christmas, are, are mere magnifiers of emotion. Right? If, you're, if you're a happy person, and you've had a pretty good year, you're happier today. It's just how it works. But if you're struggling, right, and, and the struggles get even more intense around the holidays. Illnesses just land harder this time of year. Divorce hurts even more lost lands with a thud stockings that no longer need to be filled but are hung anyway packed with them a really heavy blow and it'd be remiss of us to not recognize this today that in the midst of all the holly jolly and the merry Christmases, the church of jesus needs to remember that there are people for whom this day brings an intense amount of grief or pain and listen if that's you i want you to know that you're the reason why jesus came I want you to know that Christmas is still worth celebrating because since the story is real, it provides us with a hope that nothing can take away. There is no pain that you're feeling that he has not felt. There's no grief that you're facing that he's not walking through with you and there's nothing, hear me, nothing at all that you're facing that his birth and life and death and resurrection do not have an answer for. Because there is no pain and no suffering, no loss that gets the last word in Jesus' kingdom. There's no aspect at all of the kingdom of darkness that stands a chance against my King Jesus. And that King, that God, came here in an all out pursuit of you. He never promised that life would be easy. In fact, he promised the opposite. But he promised you that in him you would find the answer. In him you would find strength to face the day. In him you would find peace that passes understanding. And on top of that, and more than all of that, that if you believe in him, then one day you will experience an eternity that is free from the struggle, free from the pain, free from loss and suffering and death. Because that is what Jesus bought you when he came here. That is what he bought you when he reconciled you back to God by shedding his blood on the cross. That is what Jesus bought you when he walked out of his grave. Listen, if you've never believed in Jesus, you've never believed that he's God, then he died for your sins and rose again and you asked him to forgive you, then I have no hope to offer you for the pain and struggles of this life. I have no hope to give you for what lies on the other side of the grave, and I sure won't do you the harm of making one up this morning. But I can tell you this, Jesus Christ is God And that God became a human in order to suffer and die in your place. And he did that to reconcile you to God and give you eternal life with him. And the Bible is clear to receive that gift. All you simply have to do is believe. There's no better way to celebrate Christmas than to believe for the first time in Jesus for your salvation. The second implication that I want to focus on out of this passage in Philippians is for those of you who have done who have believed just for those of you who say I'm a follower of Christ, and this implication is clear and undeniable, but I'm going to tell you we don't like it. We don't like it. Look at verse five. Then your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. There's a line in there that's really difficult. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. The mindset that Paul just described for you, the mindset that says, Yeah, I'm God, and that's got all sorts of perks, but I'm going to use none of those perks for my own gain. Instead, I'm going to use every ounce of privilege and resource I have to serve others, even at the cost of myself and even my life. So here's the secret about Christmas we love the story. We love the story of all that Jesus did for us, we love that he came, we love that he taught, we love that he died in our place, we love that he took all that on for us in an act of grace. What we don't love, however, is when he turns to us and says, now follow me. Follow you, Jesus, follow you where? To heaven? Sure, man, I'll gladly pass go, collect my $200 and go to heaven. I love nothing more, God, than you have you forgive my sins, give me a free pass to heaven, only then to live the rest of my days in, in my own selfish pursuits, chasing a life of advantage and privilege and comfort. But we don't have that option as followers of Christ, do we? Follow him to heaven? Sure. But the road to heaven goes down first. I want you to see the progression of Philippians 2. Jesus is God, and then he trades in those rights. And he becomes a human, and he becomes a slave, and he becomes obedient to death. The trend there is clear, it's down, 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 down. And in the verse preceding that, we are told that we are to take on the same mindset. That we're to go lower, and lower, and lower. You see, if you want God to do something big in your life, you gotta get small. We all talk about how we want God to bring some sort of massive victory, great, you gotta get small you want God to move mightily for you, you do not invite that by self-promotion and self-protection and self-advancement. You invite the work of God in your life when you get small, when you take the resources and privileges and platforms and rights that he's given you and you use them to make much of Jesus and benefit others and not yourself. Man, in America, we like to talk about so much about how our freedom grants us rights. You want to get an American worked up? Take away his or her rights. But we see here that Jesus voluntarily laid all his rights down. And he used all his resources and privilege, not for his own self-interest, but for the gain of us. No wonder, no wonder, the book of Philippians is the book that clearly tells us that those in Jesus Christ have traded in our rights to be a victim. Because victims look out for their rights. Victims, they, they, they believe they're being treated unfairly. Those concerns never once landed on Jesus' radar. They never were a level of concern for him. And by the way, to miss this in the Bible is to choose to miss it. Because no honest reading the scriptures leads you to any other conclusion. This is Jesus saying to us in Luke 9, if anyone wants to come after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. This is Galatians 2.20 that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. This is James 4, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. See, the message of Christmas that we so often miss because it goes against our nature is that the greatness of man's power is in the measure of his surrender. True strength is found in resting in Christ's power. True freedom is found in being a slave of Jesus. True power is found in surrendering our weaknesses to him. True greatness is becoming the servant of all. True exaltation is to humble ourselves before him. True hope is hope in the eternal King Jesus. And we are called to follow his path downward. And we always talk about following him. We always talk about making a difference with our one life. We always talk about change the world. So how do we do that? We do it by going small. Christmas teaches us that really small sacrifices, really small things put in the hands of God make really big differences. See our job isn't to be Jesus. That role's already filled. Our job is to be the little boy who gave up his one small lunch, designed to feed one person and let Jesus use it to feed thousands. Right? Our job is, is to reach out to someone today that we know is hurting and offer a word of hope or encouragement. Our job is to pray for those who are struggling. Our job is to keep giving to his kingdom until it hurts a little. Our job is to take out the trash for our spouse without them asking. Our Job is to tell our kids that we're sorry and ask them for forgiveness when we've done something wrong. Our job is to serve those that we work with not complain about them. Our job is to make our bosses look really good. Our job is to pray for those that we can help, and especially those who we don't know how to help. Our job is to lead our family through family devotions, even if it seems like no one's listening. Our job is to send that note, right, to make that phone call, to shoot that text to someone when God puts them on your mind. Our job is to slow down long enough that you actually see people to see the fields that are ripe for harvest. Our job is to simply tell people what Jesus has done for us. Our job is to mimic that woman at the well that we've been studying who just said, all she said was, you've got to meet this guy, Jesus. Our job is to serve others through small acts of kindness, even if it's not convenient, even maybe it'll get us sick, even if it's not on our daily planner. Our job is to tell our spouses how grateful we are to be married to them. Our job is to tell our kids that we would choose them. Even if we had a choice from every kid in the world, we'd still choose them. Our job is to take time out of our day and read the word of God and commune with him in prayer. Our job is to continually offer him small little offering after small little offering. And when our small gifts are placed in the hands of an almighty God, who knows what he can do with them? He took a baby in a manger, and he changed the entire world. See, it's the job of God to work on big, grand scales. It's our job to fight against our nature and to go small, and to trust him to use those small gifts in big ways. If you want to make a lasting difference in your life, it won't be because of some massive, grand adventure, epic journey. I'm just going to tell you that right now. It was because you, every single day, offered small sacrifices to our more than capable God. Man, May FBN be a church now and into the new year who values and believes in the idea of just going small. We can't do this on our own. It's not in our nature. But with the spirit of the one who's already walked this path. And the one who's invited us down at ourselves. By his power we can. So let's go small, church. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are the grandest thing in the entire universe. You're too big to be contained, too vast to be described. And yet when you came, you came as a helpless baby. Lord, may that example of humility, may that example of of surrendering rights, may that example of just going low inspire us today. God, if there's one here who's never trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, their, their eternal salvation for life in heaven, for new life now. God, we just pray that right now where they're sitting, they'll say, yes, Jesus, I believe the first time, I, believe, I've, I give my life to you. Or would your spirit do that work? Would you draw people to yourself now? Father, for the rest of us, it's, it's in our nature to puff our chest out. It's in our nature to, pr- to promote ourselves. It's in our nature to, to go big. So God, I pray that, you would, that we would invite your spirit to work on us, to help us to just go small. The grandest being in all the universe became a baby, and then he said, follow me. May we do that, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. Joy to the world.